Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Silver Linings Playbook. You don't have to see the film to enjoy the podcast as it's, you know, pretty general chat. We talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. But if you do proceed without having seen the film, you should just be aware that a couple of elements of the plot are probably going to be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Good evening. When will we, will we get Brexit? Hopefully never. <laughs> Let's not leave the EU. <laughs> I, I love your combination of, um, of current affairs there. Combining Brexit, the ever-present goblin on all of our backs, <laughs> with the excellent Bross documentary. I thought you were going to say the ever-present gobshite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. That too, that too. Um, but yes, I've been watching the Bross documentary. I've almost finished it. I think I've got about 20 minutes to go. But it's at the point where they've started to really, really hate each other and they're all like crying all the time and it's great. Have you watched it? Uh, no, no, but I've heard very, very good things about it. It is it's extremely good. Some of the shit they come out with is just like absolute genius. It is pure spinal tap. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that it it is effectively yeah effectively like a uh, a, a real life Spinal Tap, a bit like Anvil, but with awful people. See, I still haven't watched Anvil. I hear great things about that. That is good. That is good. It's also now on Netflix. I think. I think I saw it. Oh, really? The other day. So it's the perfect time to watch it. Sweet. This is Anvil. The story of Anvil. Anvil. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a very good documentary, the Bross one. It's called After the Screaming Stops. It's on the BBC iPlayer right now. We'll um, pop a link in the show notes. Um, for those of, you, those of you who don't know, because I'm sure loads of our listeners are really into Bross. They were famous in the UK for about two weeks in the late 80s. Big, big pop yeah, they, stars. They, but be, being serious, they had a solid two years of massive hits and playing in huge like stadiums and things like that. And then disappeared completely almost overnight yeah and then they um they they had twin brothers the two of them and they went off and had kind of separate careers and then this documentary follows their reunion show which was in 2017 at the o2 in london um and it's all it's just like the kind of the time leading up to it the bit of backstory stuff and them talking about each other and lots of great scenes of them all shouting at each other and arguing and stuff which is just great but as well as being funny on that kind of surface level of it being a bit spinal tap it's also a quite affecting human story and it does dig deep into their stardom and their relationship and stuff in a way that's quite unique it's very good yes yeah um, also they they're called bros but really it should be pronounced bros right don't get on that that shit with me paddy johnston b-r-o-s do not get on that i take it you saw the outrage over um moss bros confirming that it should be yeah. pronounced moss bros yeah excuse but me they, get away with that nonsense but they did agree that the majority of people pronounce it moss bros and that that's okay so i think they i think they did the right thing they, they which did. is more than can be said for their customer service in relation to the suits i hired for my wedding if you remember correctly yes yeah their service was fucking terrible <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought this episode. to you by Mosbros. <laughs> brought to you by Mosbros. <laughs> um, Do you we... think they'll send us some free suits to get us to like stop dissing them? As like oh, yeah. neg- a ne- the negative sponsorship model. This could be the new thing for podcasts. You know, podcasts are always going. How do I make money from this? How- I'm putting all this work into it, not making any money. What you have to do is diss some diss a product until they send they like agree to give you some free stuff so that you'll stop dissing it. That is exactly how it works. Yeah. So let me say it this time. Fuck Nintendo. Um, <laughs> fuck guitars and fuck baseball. <laughs> fuck people who give out one million pounds to random people. Yeah. That's what I'm after. I'm after the cash. Yeah. Get out of here, George Soros. <laughs> I mean, literally, get out. Get out, George. <laughs> Pay your taxes yeah. and then get out. Who do you think you are, Warren Buffett? We don't like you. <laughs> Warren Buffett? Give me Warren Beatty. That's what I <laughs> You're going to say, give me Warren Peace. Give me Warren Peace. Starring Paul Dano. 
starring the beautiful cherubic man. I can't get yeah. over the um, <laughs> with his the, face the, like the side of a mango. <laughs> the um, I, I don't know. I, I sent it to you, didn't I? Um, but I don't know yep. if any of our listeners have seen. Uh, somebody <laughs> compiled all of the ways in which um, major publications had talked about Paul Dano's face. And um, it's some of the funniest stuff I have ever seen. It is so great. Yeah. I've got it here. It's the, it's it's better. There's not just all those ways. It's descriptions of Paul Dano's face in prestige publications. A thread. So this is all from places like the New York Times and whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a cherubic inverted teardrop, boyish pincushion face, unforgettably <laughs> round face, a thing of strange unforgettably beauty, unforgettably round face, <laughs> rounded, well-fed American mask. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's all. But yeah, if you know of any more, let us know. But yeah, he is a beautiful man and genuinely one of my favourite actors. Yes, at some point we must talk about um what's it called? Ruby Sparks. Yeah. That's a that's a good one. That's a good uh, one. I, I I want to hear your thoughts on that film. I'm intrigued. That's an interesting film. A film that has layers for sure. It does. It is the onion of cinema. Yeah. In fact, um, that it's called Ruby Sparks because a Ruby Spark is what the Americans call an onion in the um, in the Midwest, but only in the Midwest. That is exactly right. I go down the grocery store. Hey, man, got any Ruby Sparks? I want a dozen Ruby Sparks, <laughs> and I want them now. More I got to get. I got to feed them to the groundhogs to get them off my property. <laughs> Speaking of outrageous lies, Silver <laughs> Linings Playbook. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, we can we can get onto that. But um, yeah, Silver Linings Playbook. I this is the second time I have seen this film. I watched it. I think around the time it first came out, not in the cinema, but um, at home. It, it was a home viewing, and I think I quite liked it at the time. But had some perhaps different thoughts on a second viewing. Um, how was it for you? So um, this is the second time that I finished it out of four attempts to watch it oh um, that's not good well were you was this because you deliberately turned it off or were you were you waylaid were you attacked by groundhogs um, and had it to was stop, deliberately or? turning it off because of the way that the film portrays mental illness i find mm-hmm. equal parts very accurate and equal parts quite sensationalist and depending on how tender i'm feeling on the particular viewing i clearly decide to go this is a load of old nonsense and turn it off or or keep watching and enjoy in spite of the issues with it yeah i thought that this was going to be a be a discussion point for you as someone who's very very passionate about mental health and well-being and you know you dedicate your life to actually informing people about mental health which is a wonderful thing um I wondered how I was very, very interested to get your perspective on it because it portrays a, the protagonist has um, undiagnosed bipolar, supposedly. And why is it undiagnosed? Do they ever explain that? Um, I th- I'm not I'm not sure how they're supposed to um, talk about that. I wonder if it's because it was undiagnosed at the time of the incident. And, and the the incident is what I would like to sort of talk about here um, in that. As, as well as as well as um, the movie portrays living with mental illness, um, it falls into one of those major fallacies of uh, somebody with a, a a mental illness being violent, um, and and I think that's the main problem that I have with it is that um, pe- people with with bipolar or schizophrenia or, or other mental illnesses like that. They're far more likely to um, to commit violence on themselves or hurt themselves than they are mm. to, um, to commit violence against other people, and and I find the fact that it kind of falls into that trapping a bit a bit disappointing. I think is the, is is my main issue with it, and and there's there's other things here and there where where I feel as though um, it kind of lets itself down a little bit and it falls into the almost romanticizing mental mental illness and and, and mental health issues. Um, but that's kind of the main thing is like, you know, you're not people who who have bipolar are not inherently violent. See, it felt to me like him having the whole the only reason they really needed him to be mentally ill was for the story to work with him having just gotten out of the um, the hospital. Right. So the, the, the whole that was such a big part of the setup that it felt like it was just part of that. So to me, that part of it felt a little bit artificial. 
and the rest of the film didn't explore that as much as it pushed him to get together with Jennifer Lawrence and have a nice love story, right? Not that you should necessarily... Not that that's a bad thing, necessarily, but I still felt it kind of skimmed over it. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily mind that. I, I feel as though... the I think the performances in this film are really good. Um, oh, yeah. Bradley Cooper... Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you, you're in two minds about should they have got someone who who lives with bipolar to play the character in this film, um, mm. and 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 I think that is something that's worth discussing. Is where do you draw the line between acting and um, and portraying something that should be portrayed with someone who lives with that? Um, and 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 I think with with mental illness, I think there's there's such a there's such a hidden aspect to it that I think you can get away with having someone who doesn't um, doesn't have a mental illness portraying that in film as long as they do it justice and as long as they are able to deliver it in a nuanced way, which Bradley Cooper does here. Yeah, and um, as long as they're informed and they care about what they're doing and they listen to the information that they receive about the character in advance and they consult with people. And it's not just on the actor, but on the director and everyone involved in the film to make sure that the portrayal is sensitive to it, right? Exactly, and and I do get the sense with Silver Linings Playbook that it really, um, it really did take those steps. Um, it feels very authentic, and the way that they, aside from uh, what caused the bipolar to be diagnosed in the first place, the way that it portrays um, portrays Bradley Cooper's character is it feels very authentic. It feels very real, and it does so in a positive way. And and the film does does that great and rare thing that cinema does, where they're able to get humor out of mental illness without the mental illness being the butt of the joke. Mm, yeah they, which that, is, that a is difficult. Done so well in in silver Linings play that they do it really well here and so yeah that there, there's a lot of positives with the way that it portrays mental illness but there are still those moments where it feels a bit awkward it feels a bit low-hanging fruit um and i just think they could have done it in a slightly different way and still maintained main maintained that uh that sense of authenticity yeah if there's one thing we hate on this podcast it's low-hanging fruit <laughs> exactly exactly it is one we ne- of my major bugbears we never go for the low-hanging fruit <laughs> yep you present us with a tree we go for the fruit that's right at the top we get a ladder we go all the way to the top and we eat that bitter fruit at the top of the tree yep love it <laughs> that's what we want I'm baking um, it into a pie right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and and so yeah i think this movie it does a lot of good things um but it's a very sensitive subject matter, and I think there's I think there's a reason why it might have been so divisive for some people, um, and why some people do find it difficult to watch, particularly because, you know, um, speaking of someone who 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 lives with a with a mental illness, um, this film it revolves very much around well, it doesn't revolve around, but it discusses um, the family dynamic when someone um, has a mental illness and they don't quite know how to talk about it. And Bobby De Niro is their dad. And and Bobby De Niro is their dad. Yeah. So can can you remember at which points you turned it off in the on the two previous viewings? Um so one of them was uh one one of them was when um it went to the flashback of what he did. Um and I was like no no screw that get get out. Um and another one was at the point where they they and and they kind of undo it later on in the film, which I think is why I, I've softened to it. But there, there's this slight hint of like, oh, I don't want to be on my medication. It makes me, it makes me fuzzy. It makes me drowsy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and and it falls a little bit into the, and it comes up time and time again. Is um, is the idea that taking medication takes away from the vibrancy, or or takes away from what it means to be alive, and and that kind of message is a little bit dangerous to put out there because yes, medication isn't for everybody um, who has a mental illness, but it is a lifesaver for other people. And and you see it time and time again. You also see people writing sort of newspaper articles where they say, I had depression and I was on antibiotics and I didn't like it and I came off and now I'm great. And it's like, well, okay, that's great yeah. for your personal story. But things like mental illness are so fluid and so personal that every individual has a different way to maintain their well-being. Yeah, well, it says a lot about that line of thinking that the most prominent person pushing that kind of line was noted plagiarist Johan Hari, right? Well, yes, exactly. Johan Hari can can go suck a bag of balls. He is awful, <laughs> and I hate him. 
and a bag of a, baseballs. And he's a disgrace to journalism. And yeah, so he he got over his plagiarism scandal by writing some bullshit about how you know antidepressants are bad. It's like well yeah. done, slow round of applause. Get back in the bin. Yes, definitely, very bad. Um, and this, this is podcast from... is brought to you by Johan Hari. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by <laughs> Johan Hari. Um, and this is coming from someone who used to really like his writing back before it turned out that he stole all of it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought he he did some good stuff for the Independent. Um, it was the Independent, yeah. I think, that he wrote for, wasn't it? I um, think so. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, that that was very disappointing. And then he came out with some absolute nonsense. Um, but it but it it happens time and time again, and I think there is this ro- romanticism around like yeah, stay off the medications and be free, and 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 equally like live your live your fullest um, worst mental illness because it makes you creative or it makes you romantic oh, or it makes God. you spontaneous. It's like no, get get out, look after your well being. All of that nonsense doesn't really exist. I absolutely cannot stand the line of thinking that you have to suffer for your art. I think that is fucking bullshit. Like, honestly, the only way that I've ever been able to create anything, and, you know, I'm almost finished with this draft of this novel, and the only reason I have been able to find time and space to do that is because I live a stable life, because I am married, and I have a mortgage, and I have a job, and I have all of these things that allow me to actually create time and space in my life to do things, even to do things like this podcast, you know? If I was if I was drunk and unemployed and all that stuff, I wouldn't be getting shit done, you know? I don't believe in all that shit at all. It's fucking bollocks. If you want to be creative sort out your stability first and it and the time and space will come and and being doing things like being creative can be a really good way to um get support and get therapy so art therapy is really good for schizophrenia for instance um and and people who who are living with mental illnesses they they can find great value in the creative arts but being mentally ill does not make you a great artist and recovering from mental illness does not make you a bad artist um and and that's a it really irritates me <laughs> really, yeah. really irritates me and, you know, and, like and that one in a hundred thousand people is a hunter s thompson type the rest of us just need to live a normal life and 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 the um and and if you follow that trail down that line of thinking leads to things like uh, like video game developers working 80 hour weeks and being like, oh, mm. you've got to suffer for your art or, you know, people working and not getting paid enough money for the, yeah. for the writing they're doing, um, which is which is awful. Um, you should not have to suffer and you should not have to go through turmoil in order to create art. Um, and we L- need to get Least out of, of all the of turmoil thinking. of being exploited by a corporation or a, an employer. Like that's the worst, that's the real sharp end of it, isn't it? Those game developers working 80 hour weeks. Yes, yeah, they 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 are being exploited by their employers um, in the name of art, and it's disgraceful. Yeah, um, and and just today, um, I was reading about um, a a game um, where they deliberately said, "No, we stick to forty hour work weeks." And guess what? The game turned out great, and it didn't delay it too much. Um, yeah, but it called- doesn't matter how long it takes. That's the thing. If you have to delay it, you have to delay it. Like no game should ever stick to a schedule at the expense of people's health. No, no. And and you can understand the pressure because, you know, the longer it stays in development, the more likely it is that the, the studio will fold before they're able to release the game, particularly if it comes from an independent studio and things like that, or someone that doesn't have a huge amount of financial backing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, this game called Slime Rancher made loads of money, had 40-hour work weeks, hugely successful. That is the model that studios should aspire to. They should not aspire to be tortured artists. Yeah, absolutely. It's really insidious to apply that to to games but um i don't feel like silver linings playbook necessarily pushes that myth does it no but the kind of stay off your meds thing is a related thing people who think that oh you have to suffer for your art are probably more likely to think oh yeah stay off the meds and be free yes yeah and 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 it's only a slight sort of sense that you get in silver linings playbook it's mentioned a couple of times and and it does kind of kind of draw it back in by having him going back on his medication as he finds more more comfort with Jennifer Lawrence and um and finding that stability um but i think it's a it's a it's a slightly dangerous um route to take to try and even portray that in a movie um, yeah when when people rely on it to survive oh it's it's um it's based on a book which was Matthew Quick's debut novel and i wonder how the book handles it um whether it goes deeper on these kind of issues or whether its portrayals are more sensitive or perhaps less sensitive, who knows? It'll come across very, very different in prose. But I'm interested to see it. And um, 
I read a bit of one of Matthew Quick's other books once, um, and it was very good. I think he seems like a pretty cool guy. Yes, yeah, I, I've not read it, um, but I, but I have heard good things about um, the Silver Linings playbook. Yeah, he also writes like uh, young adult novels. I think. Yeah, oh, seems yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would be interested to see how the mental health issues are tackled in the book because I understand that some of the plot points are different and that kind of thing. It's still basically the same story, but the way that it's revealed that um, Tiffany, Jennifer Lawrence's character, wrote the <coughs> that she's been writing the letters pretending to be his ex-wife, Nikki, is very different in the book, apparently. Oh, right. Okay. Not that I think it matters that much, but it's still they must have had a reason to make some substantial changes to the plot. I think it's less tied into the dance competition. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I gave a quick sort of read over and it seems as though the dance competition's earlier in it um, and and they're sort of more following the dance competition rather than having that as like the be all and end all the crux of of the entire thing. But, you know, in a film, you need things like that to hang the story off of, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't you know. I thought the dance competition was cool, although... It's, it very abruptly goes into fell in love with a girl by the white stripes and I don't think you'd get away with that. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think, I think that the, it's, it's, if there is a slight jarring, don't you think, where this movie sort of ties into more traditional romantic movie tropes. Um, and And I think where it works best is where it kind of, moves away from from those standards and kind of forges out on its own path but there's bits and pieces here and there where it tries and i think i think the fact that it goes for the big ending kind of is a disservice to how good the rest of the film is mm, that that's a really good point actually and i think that's actually hit the issue with it that i've never been able to put my finger on which is that what both times when it's ended i've known that it's actually it's a very good and competent film with great performances. It's well written. There's, it says a lot of good stuff and I can understand why it won all the awards and everything. Overall, I think it is a good film in many ways. But yeah, the the um, the more interesting and idiosyncratic elements of it don't quite gel with the the romantic plot, I guess, which is always a difficult balance. Yeah, and, and I think it could still work really well um, with having the dance as the, the key focus. Um, I think it's just the way that it ties it in with the big dramatic um, bet that has everything else riding yeah. on there's it. Always, there's always got to um, be a bet plot. That's that's a classic romantic film thing, as we've known since, since episode one, since 10 Things I Hate About You. It can't be a romantic film unless there's a bet. Um, yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and I think that that is kind of a problem here, is like, you know, there's enough in this movie without having to do the Robert De Niro's bet his life savings that he's going to use to open a restaurant um on on both the big game and on the dance but he's he's running an illegal gambling syndicate and everyone's okay with it including the cops (laughs) yeah i mean well the cops in this movie are made out to be you know pretty awful (laughs) yeah like officer keogh seems like a really nice young man and then he's like oh you want to get a drink to his like friend's widow yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it's more that um he he hears oh she's the one who sleeps with people okay yeah want to go get a drink yeah um, horrendous but yeah apparently um awful. the nfl was not very happy with the depictions of gambling about the nfl and refused to endorse the film oh right okay well I, even I though think... surely they must have paid for the rights to the philadelphia eagles name and brand and stuff um maybe or, or can you just get away with having teams in your film anyway this would be good to know because the toronto blue jays feature heavily in my novel and if they don't endorse it i'll be crushed i'm fairly certain you could probably still mention them but i think the sticking point would be the scenes outside um the game although um that may well have been filmed elsewhere (laughs) yeah that's true and i suppose nothing is actually inside the stadium or anything is it no no. I, i i can't imagine that you could get in trouble just for mentioning the eagles maybe the names are public property um maybe maybe um what what i do hope is that um in 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 the grand uh cinematic universe in my head um the go- the gcu the gordon the, the cinematic, gordon cinematic universe. universe um at that particular game uh the gang from always sunny in philadelphia were also attending <laughs> yeah <laughs> except they couldn't get tickets except they couldn't They'd, get tickets yeah so they, they've come up with some scheme to get tickets off yes of them. yeah 
off of the Philly fanatic who beats them up or something. Um, I'm speaking of um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Have you watched the f- latest season yet? I have not, no. Oh, it is It is good. It is good. I was hoping you would watch the final episode because I really wanted to talk to you about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, I'm still about two or three seasons behind, actually. Ah, uh, okay, okay. My dad's been texting me about it as well. Um, the, the final episode is um, special. It's really, really good. Um, and yes, when you catch up, let me know. So. Okay, I will. After I finish the Bross documentary, I will Crack get on, on that. Bin- binge all of It's Always Sunny. Yeah. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the sports content of this film. It was cool. It was interesting. That, and obviously a lot of people do bet illegally on on sports and it is a thing that happens. And to have that as a... It's kind of a weird thing, but yeah, they were then using it to hang the rest of the plot off of and it worked mainly because Robert De Niro is just so good. He's totally believable. Yes, yeah. Um, the The most unrealistic bit of this movie is... If Robert De Niro was your dad, you would want to spend all your time with him. Watching yeah, and sports. he's not—he's not bothered at all. Um, which, yeah, I mean, God, I wish—I wish you know, I had a—I had Robert De Niro as an additional parent. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I'm off, I'm off, to, see, I'm off to see De Niro, Dad. Be back in a bit. <laughs> I'm off to see De Niro, Dad. De Niro, Dad. <laughs> um, but he's great, you know. I mean, you can't go wrong with a bit of Bobby. Yeah, all his stuff about Juju and all his, his mannerisms are all, yeah, very funny. Yeah, and, and, and I found a little bit of the whole, oh, everybody's crazy, a bit jarring. Um, because yeah. there's, a, there's a very big difference <laughs> between mental illness um, and and superstition over sport. Um, but I, I think in general, it meant well, didn't it? This This movie meant well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's nothing insidious about it. Um, and... and you know, it it is quite funny, and and it really brings it home. You know, a lot of people who are into sports, they will they will get get these little routines and things like that. Um, yeah. So it's quite fascinating to see that here. Uh, it, it's it's quite nice to see. It, it almost reminds me of um, Diane's family in BoJack Horseman, <laughs> where, where yeah. they're sitting around watching. Are they watching the Red Sox? It's the Red Sox, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. With. Yeah. Um, it, it's a similar kind of thing where you've got that kind of very local team focused passion across an entire family, which I thought was great. Yeah, and his dad believes that he's the he's the good luck charm, which is really yeah, which is really really nice and really charming. And he, the way that um, Pat keeps denying it is actually kind of it made me a bit, a bit sad. I say, just watch the game with your dad, man. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I felt the same way. It's like you know, and and, and you know, this is a feel good movie, and at the end, everybody is united and. You know they're spending time together, and you get the sense, okay, yeah, they blatantly watched a few, a few football games together, what have you. Yeah, it it is a feel good movie ultimately, and that is a good thing. But yeah, and then you have the moment where he's like complaining that oh they lost the game because he wasn't there, and Jennifer Lawrence walks in and she's like, actually, he is. It's lucky when he's with me because they they won this when he was with me. They won this when he was with me, and it, and it's like a huge mic drop, and that's a really good moment as well. Yeah, that was, that was one of my favorite moments of the film. It works really well, and and it sort of, it, I like the way that it like subtly and playfully undermines everything about the conflicts, um, and that kind of flips all of that on its head. Whereas you think like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's this whole thing about Robert De Niro not thinking that um, that Tiffany is a positive influence, um, and and all of that is also tied up in the yeah. superstitions around the game. And then as soon as, as soon as she says that it like completely reverses their their relationship and that conflict is completely eradicated um with like the flick of a switch basically it's great yeah but then it turns out she's been colluding with them yes yes um which is a real kind of a real omg moment it is an omg moment it's also a bit weird um, yeah i'm not sure <laughs> why they necessarily decided to do that um it's it's yeah i and and i think it you know it's it's all supposed to be a way to find to to allow pat to recover um but it's a kind of deception that feels quite unnecessary um yeah. particularly when as an audience you had grown to appreciate the spontaneity behind the the burgeoning romance and the burgeoning relationship between pat and tiffany up to that point yeah for sure. She says, uh, we've got to leave a trail of breadcrumbs so that he could live his life without ruining it. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, you were doing that anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's it's 
I, I don't know. I, I, I felt that that was a bit of a strange move. And, and um, I'm not really sure what the point of that was in terms of what it wanted the audience to feel at that point. No, was it well, that just supposed to be that like everyone around him is united in wanting him to get better? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, it's just a bit of a weird one. I, I found it a bit strange and, and a bit sort of like, I don't know, it didn't necessarily um, tie in with the agency of the film. And, and it kind of felt a bit like there was a lot happening at Pat's expense. Um, which is, yeah, I don't know. I felt a bit, felt a bit weird about it. Yeah, definitely. And it was also I I found it unbelievable that Nikki would show up to the dance competition when she had took a restraining order out on him. It's only like what a couple of months since she got the restraining order and now she's violating it by going to a dance competition to see if he's changed. That was unbelievable to me. Yeah, I didn't think that was that there was a lot of fake conflict over the dance. Yeah. Like that only happened to get them to the big ending. Yes, yeah, and where she dramatically runs away because he goes and speaks to his his wife. Um, yeah, you got you got to have a chase. You've, you've you got to have a you've got to have a bet. You got to have a chase. Ideally in an airport. Ideally in an airport, but we'll take Snowy Street if not. You've got to have an outside kiss. Yeah, and you've got to have a letter that you've written to the other character that you then get them to read out. Yep, yep. It's all about the letters. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's all about that. Yeah. So the the bit that I said that I really liked with the music was the um the Led Zeppelin song What Is and What Should Never Be. Mm-hmm. Um that's used when he 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 gets up in the night and he's looking for his wedding video and then he has like he has a a freak out and it's just like the way that they use the dynamic of the song in time with um him then ending up fighting with Robert De Niro and like and yeah, it's. I just thought that was really, really effective. But I think it's because I love that song, and it's it's a song that I used to listen to a lot when I was, you know, learning guitar and stuff. And I was always really impressed with the dynamics of it. Even then, I just thought that was a really smart choice at that moment. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the music choices in this film were really on point. Um, very carefully done. Much much like the rest of it, there's there's a lot of care that's been taken. Um, and and you know, I think I think um, David A. Russell did a did a very good job with with this movie yeah now i have not i don't think i've seen any of his other work but i understand that he is good yes yeah, so um american hustle is a good heist movie yeah um three kings is a very good movie um it's a sort of sort of like a again it's a similar kind of heist thing um, hold up about george these... clooney marky mark and ice cube yes how have i not seen this um, yeah, it's about these people in, in the Gulf War who um, who decide to go off piste and go and steal some gold. It's great. <laughs> it's a really good little sort of comedy. Sounds cool. But yeah, I, I thought you, you, it did have a, a distinct style that I am sure is down to him as a director. You could you could tell it was him. I'm sure if I watched another of his films, I could tell that it was his. You know? Yes, yeah, he he does have that style, and um, you know, he's very accomplished, and and I think this movie, you know, it it, it has its flaws, but I think it's 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 well done. It's it's a it's a positive movie overall. It's it's generally careful with the subject matter, um, and and I think it's it, it's particularly careful. Is it is particularly personal to him because I think one of his one of his kids has bipolar or something like that. Oh right! Wow, um, which is part of the reason why why he took on the project and everything like that, um, and and so you know I, I think in general it is carefully done with that, and it's it's really nice to see a representation of mental illness in cinema which isn't entirely I'm a troubled genius, and definitely isn't I'm a violent psychopath that's going to kill everybody, and it seems as though those are, those are the two sort of like uh the t- the two sort of like designs of if you have a mental illness in a movie you fall into one of these two categories yeah and there are hints of both of those but it's never actually saying that yeah yeah it it it, it, it um it moves very far away from the violence thing it's just the fact that the initial um the 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 initial crux of 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 the um the diagnosis comes from a violent act um, and then, yeah, there's those little hunt hints of the whole sort of like romantic 
the the, the romanticization of mental illness um but generally it's very down to earth about its portrayal and it really ties into the realities of it a lot of the time um and i think maybe it because of the rawness of that um that might be where my trouble comes with it where i can't finish watching it because it conf- because there's that massive conflict between that rawness and then those more sort of like sensationalist aspects yeah the saccharine moments yes yeah exactly it was it necessary for them to make out that tiffany was such a huge slut did that really bring anything to the film um well i think it's supposed to be um that he's trying to portray that he's got this beautiful perfect marriage so it's his issues pushed onto her rather than it being a he's calling someone a slut moment i think yeah it's, you're, no, it's you're not that he's to... doing it it's more that the film's doing it and it's a bit but, like, uh, but well, I, I don't think yeah. i don't think the film is doing it i think you're supposed to be seeing that and putting it onto him and putting it onto his emotions um rather than just thinking oh yeah well that's the movie saying it i think they were trying to do something like that rather than you taking it at face value if you know what i mean yeah sure and then it's like eventually you realize that that's not really true anyway no 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 um and again it goes into sort of grief and 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 doing things to feel good and and stuff like that um so i think in in general i think it veers away from that message i think that that was okay um it's just yeah yeah but it it gave me pause certainly yeah but i don't think that was their intention again i think it was supposed to be that you when he's saying that um that that sort of his issues being laid bare and then when it's implied by other people that's sort of like the societal issues and then you're supposed to take her word for it and listen to what she had to say and about what she did and things like that um which which sort of shows the truth of the matter and and shows the real sort of heart of the movie and what the movie's trying to imply yeah sure so yeah we've got good sports content we got let's just say that i like i like bradley cooper overall i feel like i i've never seen any of the hangover films but i think he's very much tarred with the idiot brush and it's probably unfair um i've heard great things about a star is born i think didn't he do a remake of the elephant man oh did he i think so yeah and um i heard him interviewed um talking about a star is born which he also directed and he came across as very erudite and philosophical and i think he's yeah People misunderstand him. Yeah, I like I like um, I like Bradley Cooper. Um, he's. I know he's... it was a broad Broadway revival of The Elephant Man. Okay, okay, okay. He's in uh, a film I really love called The Place Beyond the Pines. That's um, yeah, that's uh, Ryan Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling as well. Um, that is a that is a great movie. Um, and and he's done a lot of interesting things over the over the years. So yes, he's he's the guy from The Hangover. Okay, but um. But he's also he's also done you know strange things like the Midnight Meat Train, which is this really it's this really weird um, horror movie um, based on a book by Clive Barker, I think. I think it's Clive Barker. All right. Um, about this guy who he like hears this rumor about someone who goes down into the into like the tube at night into the um, into the underground um, and then murders people. And he's he's this photographer who like is very passionate about filming about like photographing real truth and real um real violence and things like that and so he he takes it upon himself to try and track this person down and it goes into these completely weird places by the end of the movie it's really strange and it's a kind of you know he's done some interesting stuff over the years i think i think those who think that he's just valentine's day in the hangover nobody really thinks about valentine's day <laughs> Um, I think it's doing him a little bit of a disservice. He's the voice nope. of Rocket Raccoon in the Guardians of the Galaxy. What, what more can you want from a man? We did not do Valentine's Day last year, did we? We did not. No. We should. Do, we should make sure we do it this year. We didn't make the timing work out. If we must. If we it's got. If we must do it. It's got Taylor Swift in her film debut. Because of this, me and you are going to get bad blood. <laughs> when it used to be mad love. <laughs> Have I told you about how much I dislike that song? (laughs) No, you have not. Go right ahead. Really, uh, in general, I'm I'm fine with with old Taylor. Shake it off, great tune. Yeah. Um, Blank space. You. There is 
Is there not a video of you singing Blank Space with an acoustic guitar on the YouTube? I think I think there is, yeah. And um, I've done it live at places before, and it always goes down very well. Um, and um, But yeah, Bad Blood, get out. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Isn't it about um, Katy Perry, supposedly, and some fake drama? It is about um, vampires in the higher echelons of the music scene, and then they drink Bad Blood. Which oh, means that oh, is there a video of that? Love. It, it it is it is supposed to be about that, isn't it? It's supposed to be about the beef with Katy Perry, um, right? And like, there's that stupid video where it's all of her gang. What are they called? Her, her squad, and the then, Swifties. And then you've got um, who's the awful person? Um, J- Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> worse than not not <laughs> as bad as Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> the person who did Girls. What's her name? Oh, Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham's there, yeah. and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm cool. I'm in a video. And I'm like, no, go Oh, you're right. Yeah, I have seen this. Yeah. It's all like post-apocalyptic, and they have a fight. And the, the video is bad. The song is bad. I have got what, bad What, what bad do you hate more, the song or the video? I think I hate the video more, but I do really hate the song. I, I despise it. I despise it. It makes me so unhappy. It's not um, one of her best. No. It, it is it is an awful one and, and in general i think she she's good she she does good music in general yeah well um, as as cool people always say i prefer her early work <laughs> well i don't prefer her early work i think i think um shake it off is is the the peak and obviously she did all of the 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 acoustic country music beforehand which is fine but you know yeah no i like that stuff the album before um 1989 or whatever maybe it was a couple of albums before is speak now that album is like pure country pop genius i love it it is it's fine i i don't it, it's all right but if you're gonna go country go dolly yeah oh if you're yeah, gonna yeah, go country, there's no no contest yeah taylor could not have handled dumpling no exactly there's not going to be a movie about taylor swift's fans doing a pageant in however many years time well, you never know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You never know. When, when are they going to open um, Swift Swiftland? Land? <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift World of Adventures. <laughs> Magical World of Adventures. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, Taylor Swift, fine, but don't don't get bad blood on. Don't yeah. like it. So nobody wants bad blood. No, give me good blood. Black pudding. Yeah, that's good blood. Oh yeah, love black pudding. <laughs> but yes, uh, where, where were we before um, we got off on this tangent? I was about to say that I forgot Julia Stiles was in it, and it, she's very, very underused in this film. And they should have given her character a lot more time, just because it's Julia Stiles, and I love her. <laughs> I think she made an impression, though. Yeah, when, for when sure. she was on screen, she's going around the house showing them all the little things in the room that you can put your iPod into, which is very. Actually, kind of a bit dated, even for when this film came out. But it's very funny. It is funny. I like it a lot. Um, and um, and yeah, so she's good. I think in general, the supporting cast is really good as well. Yeah, there's no one who lets it down or drops the ball at all. It, it's very all good. It's very competent. It all feels just that slightly bit shy of real life. Yeah. Um, Your Anupam Kaur, who's the uh, the therapist, he's yes. got a very impressive CV. I was looking at his um his Wikipedia. Oh yeah, yeah. He was in Bendit like Beckham. He was in um a whole bunch of Ang Lee films, but he's also had like this whole huge Bollywood career as well. Like he's been working for a very long time, and he does a whole bunch of humanitarian work as well. He just seems like a really swell dude. Oh, excellent, excellent. And I thought he was very good as the therapist slash Philadelphia Eagles fan. Yes, yeah, and and uh, that was a nice little um nice little swift turn of events there where he turned up which which is um which is good and uh, and then they got beaten up by some racists and they got beaten up by some racists but they gave it back to the racists in true in yeah. true philly fashion <laughs> yeah they did and chris tucker his friend danny now how old do you think chris tucker was in this film god he must be old now chris tucker so in this film he was 42 yeah, yeah, and he, he he looks about twenty three. He does. He, he looks mid twenties. Ridiculous. I, um, he is a beautiful man. He he because he's been around for so long as well, Chris Tucker. Yeah, he's forty seven years old now. Wow, and I bet he still looks great. Yeah, 
on his Wikipedia page, he is looking fly. Is he now? Is he now? Oh, I'll have to have a look at this. Yeah. And again, people think he's just the guy from Rush Hour. He's done a lot more than that. And he has. He's done loads. In in the Battle of the Chrises, who do you prefer, Chris Tucker or Chris Rock? Uh, is Chris Rock problematic because he said bad stuff? I don't know. He's his. I think everybody hates Chris. Was actually a very very funny and underappreciated show. So I don't know if I'll go with Chris Rock. Maybe. Yeah. Hmm. It is a. It is a, it's difficult... a tough one. Although Chris Rock is in Grown Ups too, which is <laughs> which is the worst film ever. Actually, no. I'm, I, I changed my mind. I'm going with Chris Tucker. Okay. Yeah. Chris Chris Rock appears to have said that the he can't say jokes he wants to say in comedy anymore, which makes me think he's, oh, turned, yeah. he's, he's turned the gammon corner. Yeah, that's right. I haven't heard any of any such chat from Chris Tucker. I have not heard that from Chris Tucker. So yeah, I reckon, yeah, yeah, we'll go with, we'll go with Chris Tucker. He's, he's our number, he's our number one, Chris. Yeah. Number one, Chris, <laughs> no, Chris Hemsworth. Get, get the fuck out. No Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Sorry, Chris Hemsworth. Sorry, Chris Evans. Not that one. <laughs> not not sorry to the other Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> the um, one from Captain America and Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Whenever people talk about the, the, the number one Chris, it's always about that, that trifecta, isn't it, of Chris Evans, uh, Chris Pratt, and um, the other one, Chris Hemsworth. He- Chris Hemsworth, yeah. Um, they never mention Chris Rock and they never mention Chris Tucker. Yeah, it's a shame. Chris Tucker seems like a very nice man. Yeah. And he's great in this. Again, kind of underused and doesn't get that much screen time, but is a fun and calming presence. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's a really good example of using um, a supporting cast effectively, even when there's not very much screen time. Just allowing them to shine and, and allowing them to actually be characters rather than just a little bit of background scenery. Yeah. Yeah, and like actually, you kind of want to know more about Chris Tucker's character, don't you? It's Danny, and he's like always try- he's like always breaking out of um, the hospital, and they keep trying, keep finding him and taking him back, and he's in some kind of dispute with the court. I want to film about his story. Yes, yeah, yeah. I would, I would like to see that. So that that side of it's good. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, th- th- there is a subject that we probably need to bring up, which is which is David O. Russell. Um, it's not the par- the use of a Bob Dylan song that I actually like. <laughs> no, um, is is um, I think he's got he's got a history of of being abusive and violent on film sets, doesn't he? I think I have heard this. Yeah, yeah. so which is why him and Christian Bale get along so well. <laughs> Getting in the way of his light. Yeah, you want me to trash your fucking lights? Have you heard the tape of that? Um, yes, yes, I have. I have. It's unbelievable, um, and I can kind of understand it because he was in the middle of a movie that was pure development hell and ended up being quite bad. Um, what movie was it? So it was Terminator Salvation. Oh yeah, um, where he is trying his damn hardest. I I feel for Christian Bale in that movie because he is trying his hardest to put in a good performance and turn that boat around as it is heading towards an iceberg. The Terminator um, boat. The Terminator boat. Um, so I can I can kind of understand his frustration. Obviously, taking it out on other people like that, you know, um, is is uncalled for. But I can kind of understand that frustration there in that particular moment. But yeah, I think David O. Russell he's been quite abusive to to people in his movies, hasn't he? Before um, I've heard only the vaguest things. Yeah, but I think I he's, do he's believe been so. shouty and he's been a bit violent. He he headbutted someone, I think, didn't he? Or or punched someone. Which you know is 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 very uncalled for. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. The Google here is going. Da- hey Hollywood! Don't forget David O. Russell is an abusive jerk. David O. Russell's history of groping and onset abuse. Oh dear. Groping as well. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. This. Yeah. This is this is the Daily Beast. So they they appear to be citing sources, but. Let's, yeah, let's not go too deep into it now, but it appears that he may be problematic, which doesn't mean that you can't enjoy this film. But yeah, it does kind of taint it a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think it's one of those things where you need to remember that when you're watching someone's film and, and you shouldn't necessarily forget that. And again, it, it comes down to the same thing of um, suffering for your art, doesn't it? And, and yeah, 
you should not have to tolerate abusive people to make a good movie. And you look at all of the directors and everyone like that who who doesn't work in an abusive manner and still manages to create great art is just because someone's created something good doesn't mean you should overlook uh, what went on when it was being made, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's not a good thing. That is very bad. Yes, yeah, quite, quite awful. And I don't believe that this would have been a different film had he done that or not done that, you know. It's certainly, there's no need to do that on set of a film if you're a director. There's no need to act like an an asshole. If you need to do that to get what you want from your films, you're doing it wrong. Lars von Trier. (laughs) Is Lars von Trier abusive? Supposedly. Is he? Yeah. Mate, what are you doing? According to this, I'm on salon.com. There's a famous, if sadly apocryphal, story that noted Danish madman Lars von Trier treated Bjork so poorly while filming Dancer in the Dark that she ate her sweater. (laughs) What? (laughs) That is outrageous. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I think that the the main um, the main example I always take about this is is abusive chefs, chefs who are abusive to their staff in restaurants. Mate, it's fucking food. It's not going to taste better because you shouted at someone for an hour. <laughs> You're not a fan of the the Gordon Ramsay school of bollocking. It is so stupid, and it is so detrimental to like a positive environment for people to work in. It's been proven time and time again that people work much worse when they're afraid, when they're hurt, when they're stressed. People work much better when they're yeah. in a good mood and where they trust their boss. Um, so guess what by shouting at everybody like that you're probably making your kitchen worse it's not magically yeah. different because you're in a hot kitchen making souffles no don't don't do that if there's a lesson that you should learn from all of these kind of people is just don't don't be like that don't be like be, that be good guy. be nice yeah as Kurt, as Kurt Vonnegut said the only thing in life you've got to be kind and also as Kurt Vonnegut said don't drop a really dangerous chemical into the world's water, freezing the entirety of the world. <laughs> that is his most important life lesson. Let it be remembered. Yeah. Um, I, I really love Kurt Vonnegut's work. Um, yeah, he's great. I, 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 again, he's, he's another man where I think um, there, there was some, some conflicting reports about him where some people said that he was quite rude and, and um, like verbally abusive to people and things like that. Um, all, all sort of potentially tied up in um, what he went through during the war. Um, right, yeah. But also but the, the lesson time, from that as well is that do as you do and not as you say. Yes, yeah. Um, but also like... Um, walk the walk. But also his books are amazing and and, and they're, they're genuinely some of the best. I don't know if you've, if, if you've ever read Galapagos. No, the only one of his I've read is Slaughterhouse-Five. Ah, uh, okay. Um yeah, Galap- uh, Breakfast of Champions is a wonderful book. I highly recommend anybody reads that. Um, but if you've got a good taster for him after reading um, Slaughterhouse and after reading um, after reading Breakfast of Champions, um, I highly recommend people read Galapagos, which is a com- very, very strange book where half of it is set um, in the present day where most of the world's been wiped out. And it's just these bunch of survivors living on the Galapagos Islands after a shipwreck. And part of it is set millions of years in the future where humans have evolved into creatures that have smaller brains and flippers and swim around in the ocean. <laughs> it's it's a really weird one, but fascinating, fascinating novel. Ah, that sounds great. That sounds, you know, not... sounds no less insane than whatever's going on in our parliament right now, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, I'm scared to look. I'm I'm really scared to look. I'll have to have a look afterwards, but I'll, I think I'll look with my with my eyes. Were you watching closed. the news before we started recording? Or I, no? I saw this. Th- this is going to time when we were recording this, but uh, Theresa May has suffered a devastating defeat over her yeah. Brexit deal. I believe it's the the worst defeat in the history of the British Parliament in terms of the number of votes. Yes, by some yeah. by some margin. Yes, it has been catastrophic. Yeah. Um, uh, followed by which. Um, Angry old Dumbledore sea dog Jeremy Corbyn has finally tabled a motion of no confidence in the government. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we could be looking at another election. I mean, that's exactly what we need. 
is another yeah, election. Definitely. Um, whoever wins that election will definitely have time to um, to put in place a plan for Brexit. Yeah, they'll def- they'll be able to just sort it all out. It'll be fine. Now, if, if there's one thing we've learned about about British politics, it's that everything goes smoothly and everything is easy. Yeah, it's all fine and totally normal and stuff. And then if there's one thing we learned about we've learned about the EU is that they always rush decision making when they're going into trade agreements. And are not meticulous <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, um, yeah, they'll they'll sign off anything. They will literally sign off everything, everything yeah. that's put in front of them. <laughs> anyway, do do you have anything else to say about Silverlining's playbook? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think that's good. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence won the Oscar for this. Yes, which yeah. is very very interesting. Do you feel like it's an Oscar worthy performance? I mean, I can't remember what she was up against. Yeah, I don't know what she was up against, but it is a good performance. Yeah, I don't. I I can't remember. Who else was going for the Oscar that year? Maybe it was all rubbish. Probably Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep's always um, nominated. Yeah, <laughs> she's the always there. Even if she, even if she hasn't made a film, they're just like, come on, Meryl. <laughs> Meryl Streep for being in. Come Meryl on, Streep. we we can just replay some footage from the Bridges of Madison County again. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, let's let's have a little look at who else was nominated that year. Yeah, that'd be interesting would be interesting to see because i feel like it's a very very good performance but this film doesn't scream oscar to me but i'm not i'm not a member of the academy so what do i know but um, i'm not saying it those... isn't a good film because it is a good film but are you, you know one of those I mean? people that's furious that marvel movies aren't nominated for oscars yes absolutely i believe all of the trashy corporate shit that's on our screens should definitely be nominated for oscars <laughs> i am um, yeah i i i where's I, the I oscar do... for sharknado hey I do take umbrage with people who say uh, I, I I have no problem with and I and I think more movies from genre more genre films should be nominated for Oscars. Um, yeah, there's been films like It Comes at Night or Hereditary, which have been horror movies that have really pushed the envelope. And I think it was great to see Get Out nominated and winning awards. Yeah. And oh no, I definitely Oscars. do think that the the exclusion of horror movies is a huge problem actually because some of them are so just so affecting and so brilliant, and that people are dismissive of horror. More yeah, so I, than it deserves, but I think Marvel movies are different because most of yeah. them are boring and stupid. And and I think that within the action movie landscape, you can get these incredible artistic works. Um, and and I think to to get a nomination for a a an, a, an award, you need to have done something so brilliant that it provokes a strong emotional reaction. Yeah, um, and I, but I, I hear what, that the, the that... recent um, Into the Spiders verse is doing that. Yes, I've heard that that is absolutely amazing. Um, and in terms of the action movies, you've got Mad Max Fury Road, one of the best movies ever made. Come out, me haters! It's great. Get out if you don't like it. Um, and and you know, Get Out itself was a fantastic movie and fully deserved that. Yeah, if um, you don't like Get Out, Get Out. If you don't like Get Out, Get Out. Um, and and if even with don't within... like Get Out, Get Out. But if you're looking at um, at the Marvel movies, um... Black Panther, like to me, that's a film that I that I feel like is as good as anything that's won an Oscar. Yeah, it's, Black Black Panther a is a brilliant film. film. Um, it it and and I think what what works about Black Panther is it allows there to be a lot of a lot of complexity, and it allows you to actually uh, feel something. But even then, it is still constrained by the middle of the road nature of that kind of film um so so when it's at its best black panther is a is a great movie but it still has the clumsy action scenes which don't really do anything um whereas if you look at mad max fury road that film took risks when it came to action set pieces and and it's all about taking those risks and i don't think any of the marvel movies have taken those kind of risks to really warrant um an oscar nomination no, no, you're right. It's, it's all about risk taking, but I still feel like it's a very, very good film. That and those are the kind of films that they could be recognizing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Black Panther would be nominated for. Best, best. Um, I think best supporting actor for um, for what's his name? Uh, Michael, Michael B. B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan is. Yeah, he's by far the best villain that the Marvel universe has seen. Yeah, he's excellent. Um, he's great, and and I think he has that complexity to his character that maybe he could be warranted in that category. Um, yeah, but overall, I think you need to do something really special. And and do the movies that get nominated for the Oscars necessarily do that? I mean, there's an awful lot of movies about 
sad white people can't <laughs> work a relationship work. Yeah. Um, well, I'm white done people seeing... saving jazz. White people saving jazz. <laughs> but like Manchester by the Sea was a movie about sad white people. I haven't um, seen it. It's, it's fine, but it's the kind of movie that you've seen and get Oscar nominated time and time again. Um, anyway, so... so um, I don't really care about the Oscars that much anyway. It's like oh, awards are bullshit anyway. Films are good, awards are bad. <laughs> but but the, the awards can then... That then sets a precedent for what movies get made going forward and what act, what uh, directors and what actors get better roles going forward or get better projects going forward. Yeah, who gets to make Ryan Gosling on the moon? That kind of thing. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so... Um, so I think it is important, and I think they can be a real force for good. But at, and at the moment there are issues. But at, but I don't think it changing that comes down to let's just nominate Transformers for an Oscar. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to go that far. Well, apparently, Bumblebee's not bad. I've heard it's fine, but you know, yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go. Be super excited about Bumblebee. That's the sound of a Transformer um, shrugging. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, right here we go. Here we go. So, so the 85th Academy Awards. Okay, hit me. Read them out. So, the best picture went to Argo. Haven't seen it. That's all right. It's fine. Um, also nominated Amour, which I've not seen. Beasts of the Southern Wild. That's good. Um, Django Unchained. That is a uh, that is a really good movie. Let down by a quite standard last half hour. Um, let down by a bullshit director. <laughs> it is very well shot. I'll give him credit. It's not his best work, but it might be in the top three, maybe. Um, Les Misérables. Um, yes, that should have won. Do you hear the people sing? <laughs> have you been watching the BBC adaptation? I have not. There it is, is good. Sorry, Russell Crowe is canon. I will not countenance any other <laughs> any other adaptations. <laughs> um, it's good. Um, well, why got... does why is it necessary? Why did we have to have Les Mis again? Like, there's staged versions. There's the film. It's like, what? We don't need to do it again. Well, it's it's not the musical version. It's based on the actual book instead oh. of the musical. Well, that sounds grim and boring. Why would you? <laughs> it's very good. It's nah. very good. Grim and boring, unlike War and Peace. <laughs> it's not grim and boring. Um, it, it, there's also Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty, and Life of Pi. Okay. Um, cool. Best director went to Ang Lee for Life of Pi. Um, I've Michael still not Hanukkah, seen that either. Michael Hanukkah was nominated for a more. I bet that is a laugh a minute. Um, much like the rest of Hanukkah's work. Yeah. Um, Beasts of the Southern Wilds, um, Bane Zetlin, uh, Steven Spielberg was nominated for Lincoln, and David O. Russell was nominated for Silver Linings Playbook. Daniel Day-Lewis won, because of course he did. Um, Bradley Cooper nom- nominated. Hugh Jackman nominated for Jean Valjean. Yep. Um, uh, not Joaquin, Russell Crowe. <laughs> not Russell Crowe, unfortunately. Joaquin yeah. Phoenix for The Master and Denzel Washington for Flight. Uh, the Master's an odd one. I have seen that. So I've not seen it. I've not it's seen all it. right. It's not as good as everyone makes it out to be. It's a bit up itself, but it's his performance is very good. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, it's not something that I was necessarily excited to 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 watch. But yeah, okay, so here we go. Best Actress, Jennifer Lawrence won, was up against Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. That is a very good performance. That is good, yeah. Um, Emmanuel Riva in Amour. Um, Kivazane Wallace in Beast of the Southern Wild, which again that that's good, and Naomi Watts in The Impossible. So so that's a that's a okay. solid that's a solid batch of um of performances. But I think Jennifer Lawrence that might be warranted actually. Yeah, she sounds, was very good. And, sounds and, and fair up against to me. the others, I think that was a decent a decent shout. As long as Julia Stiles didn't make anything that year. Oh, she was not nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Um, which went to Anne Hathaway as Fantine, which is fair enough. She was really good. I'm outraged that Russell Crowe didn't get anything. But... I know, I know. He should have won everything. Yeah. <laughs> Best picture, Russell Crowe. <laughs> Best soundtrack, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. I mean, he is on a soundtrack for that. Yeah, yeah. Just that one shot of him looking sad in the window. <laughs> that wins everything. 
Um, and anyway, so anything else you want to say about Silver Lines? No, I, I, I think we've covered everything, haven't we? It's generally overall pretty good. Bits of it that perhaps don't gel. Depiction of mental illness that is, you know, should be taken with a pinch of salt and approached in a way that is personal to you um, as a viewer. I mean, so there are a few things there to think about and things that perhaps complicated, but overall it's good and competent. Yeah, yeah. So, so how are we going to rate this? Oh, um, good, good thing. How many silver linings are in your playbook? <laughs> there we go. Um, so I, I have thirteen silver linings in my playbook. Yeah, um, that's um, that's that's fair. I would, yeah. I think I think I'd say the same actually. Yeah, thirteen. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's it's a I good movie. That. I, I think in general, its portrayal of of mental illness is good. Um, yeah, uh, with a with a few a few. Um, asterisks after it um but i i think in general it does that really well and what really works about it is the more natural side of things um slightly let down by the more theatrical elements um and the need to have a big 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 sort of exciting ending that didn't really feel like it was in place in this film but overall it's good and it's very competent um and and it's very much driven by some great performances Yes, I I agree with that. Yeah, it's the the tropiness of it that perhaps lets it down just those little things. But yeah, overall pretty good. Pretty Sweet. pretty good. So so what have we got next then? Well, you were talking about our friend Paul Dano earlier and um I'm not going to go for Ruby Sparks this time although I was tempted, but this is a film that I remembered recently that I watched it um I think last year or maybe the year before with a um, friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, and I was like, we have to talk about this at some point, but I needed some time to process it because it's such a strange film. This is uh, Swiss Army Man. Okay, okay. Have yeah, you yeah. have you seen it? I've not, no, but Daniel okay. Radcliffe is a dead body and yeah. Bob Dano is, is a man looking after a dead body. So I'd say that the, the element of romance is actually more of a, a platonic romance between the two of them. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, the, I didn't think it was a romantic movie. There's um, a sort of a failed romance plot with Paul Dano as well, but no, I, I want to watch it for the, the element of the relationship between the two of them, which there's a very strange platonic love there, and I, it feels like love to me, so I want to explore that with you. But it's a film that I think that I loved, but I'm still processing it, and I'm keen to watch <laughs> it again to see, yeah, to see how it goes. With that, yeah, I don't want to say any more about it, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting film. Cool. Okay, I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah. So that's so that's exciting. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, that's it for me. Have you got any other oh. business? Nope. Just other than to say, um, I heard today a Turkish proverb which goes, "An Englishman will burn his bed to catch a flea," and I think we should all think about that. I think we should. Yeah, and not about flea from the Chili Peppers. <laughs> no. <laughs> right okay then yeah cool well thanks a lot for tuning in as always um hope you enjoyed this um you can always email us at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com get us on twitter at bigboysdon'tpod if you have any thoughts about silver lining lining's playbook let us know um we'll be back next week to talk about swiss army man oh and uh leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your pods we really appreciate it all righty yeah uh see you all next week bye-bye bye